What's up, nerds? Welcome to a very special episode of Behind the Timeline. We are going to be doing the Dark Friend Social tonight for the Wheel of Time episode 7, but before we do that, I have Scott here with me before I go into spoilers to celebrate an exciting milestone. That's mm-hmm. very true. Um, this is our 50th episode of uh, of the podcast, and we wanted to take a minute before we get into Lindsay's uh, dark friend shenanigans to basically just thank you guys. Um, we started this essentially just as two people originally we were coworkers, which I think is still really funny. I know. Um, and, and no longer. And now friends. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but we started this as, as, you know, two coworkers who would just like had a, a love for pop culture and, uh, we both had very different nerd sets. Um, mm-hmm. And we were just like, we could do a podcast to teach each other things about pop culture and the things that we were into. And it very clearly started as Disney. And then we moved through the timeline and it, for me, it's been a really awesome experience. I've learned a lot about the movies that I grew up with. I've learned a lot about the things that Lindsay's really into. Um <laughs> <laughs> Your time will come. I haven't. I know. Look at Boba Fett is coming. I promise this won't just be me shoving fantasy books down your throat. I know. No, and we'll <laughs> we'll we'll get into the more of the modern stuff eventually too. Uh, as far as like the other Star Wars, you know, MCU and stuff like that. But uh, we really appreciate you guys being active on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, you know, just you guys are very forthcoming with the things that you want to see from us and we tried to do our best to make sure that we're accommodating to everything you want that's why we're going to be doing you know <laughs> the dalmatian extravaganza so all that stuff but the much delayed dalmatian extravaganza delayed. Yeah, we're really sorry about that guys <laughs> so like, <laughs> the end of the year has been a huge fucking deal we had that et vote like Oh, a yeah. month and a half ago, yeah. ET still like the next timeline thing coming, but it is. But yeah, this has been this has been so much fun, and it it only gets it only gets better. Like I'm so excited for you know the next fifty. So yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. This is the coolest thing ever. We both love doing this, and we're stoked to keep doing it into season two of the podcast, which will be coming up soon in the new year. So for sure, stick with us on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before everything gets like too emotional and all that shit, I will let Lindsay do her thing. Um, but again, I just, you know, we just wanted to thank you guys. Um, so yeah, enjoy the dark friend social and we'll be back for the finale of wheel of time, which will ironically enough, be the finale of the first season of the podcast too. It will, which is awesome. So yeah, um, Scott's going to get out of here and we will commence those evil spoilers at the Dark Friends social. So everyone who still swears their allegiance to the light, get out. (laughs) We're about to talk book spoilers. All right, guys, now that it's just us, let's dive into the Wheel of Time episode seven, The Dark Within the Ways, book spoilers. So we're going to be talking book spoilers all the way through Memory of Light. As usual, we're probably not actually going to get anywhere close to that stuff, but just to be safe. So if you haven't read the books, now's your time to probably exit. Full disclosure, guys, not feeling my best. This might be kind of a short episode, but I did want to make sure that we came in and talked about this because it was a really exciting episode. Obviously, The Dragon Reborn is revealed. We can all breathe easy now that that's no longer a secret, right? That feels good. I was so glad watching it with my friend to... uh, just have that be out there and done. And I really liked the way that they did the reveal too. And my friend I was watching with, who's not a book fan, was really stoked because she called Brand using the power to break down the door. Which actually, when it happened, I didn't. I when we were watching it the first time, I kind of missed when the dark friend, what's her name, said, you know, it's it would take three men or whatever to break down the door. I didn't even really hear that on my first watch. That Because that was episode three, right? So that was like a big night. And I missed that line. But she was stoked because she was like, I knew it. I knew he could channel. So it was really fun watching her with the realization. Overall, it was just, I mean, thank God. Like, I'm, I'm glad that everyone can go into episode eight now knowing. 
we had blood snow. That was fucking awesome. Um, I understand that Tigran probably wouldn't have been fighting while pregnant, but I, I don't care. This was totally awesome. And it was a really cool way of showing the Aiel without doing the huge battle scene. It reminds me a lot of the way that season one of Game of Thrones was done, where they were able to do a lot with a relatively small budget, much smaller for Game of Thrones season one than for this show. But you you did get the feeling that there was a big battle going on. You just only saw like four guys. So I thought it was really cool how they were managing to do that. And I can't wait for next week when we're going to get a big battle, I think. And as far as as far as that goes, like the, the ending of this and all the stuff with Rand, I mean, we talked a lot about his character arc and all of that in the main episode. But as much as I love seeing Rand and Moraine together, and I do, I, I'm excited to get a bunch of them on Thursday. They're so arrogant. They're such fucking dumb assholes. Like, why are they going in there alone? It's ridiculous. They're just going to ditch the kids. And that's one thing. But Lan? Like, Moraine, come on. And she said, Rosamund Pike said in the extra thing that she knew that whoever goes that's not the dragon is going to die. And that's why she didn't want to bring Lan along so that he didn't have to die. But, like, does that mean that she's going to die? Because if Moraine dies this early, that will blow my fucking mind. I think that would really suck, too, because Rosamund Pike is awesome and Moraine hangs around, right? She doesn't she doesn't die right away. She's got a whole bunch of other shit to do. It would, I think that would feel like the pacing on that would just be so accelerated. I, I can't say I would be happy if she dies right now. I really can't because I want her to be taken by the Finns and have her whole thing, you know, Matt's rescue. All of that is awesome. And I don't feel like that's what happens if she just like dies up there. But, of course, the really important thing that I keep saying, even in the main episode, nobody knows what the fuck happens in the end of the Eye of the World. That the book is ridiculous. So they could change a lot here, and I expect that they will, and I'm kind of excited for it. I just don't quite know. I don't know what to expect, and it's making me nervous. I'm not going to be okay with it if Moraine dies. I think they're just setting this up to create additional drama. Because, of course, we know the kids wouldn't, if they all went there... They don't all die. There's really no reason to believe that. Like, from what we know from the books, there's nothing that happens at the eye of the world that's, like, guaranteed everyone who's here that's not the dragon is dead. I kind of don't know where that comes from if it's just trying to create suspense. I'm I'm really not sure. I'm excited to see what they do, though, because I think that Rafe gets it. I, I think that he's going to fix the end of the eye of the world. I just hope that the approach to doing that isn't killing Moraine. And Rosamund Pike is so into this, I kind of don't see how that would be the case. She has so much more to do. I mean, can you imagine these kids, like, at their current state of character development, just being out in the world? It would be a complete disaster. But I like how even in the teaser, which looks so lit for episode eight, that they're all like, the last battle is here. And I'm like, bet. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I love that. Like the unreliable narrator really made it to screen. Really jumps right off the page at you, doesn't it? Like it's, And that's such a cool thing about Jordan's writing. I think it's one of the coolest ways where you can see like adaptation at its finest to be able to bring the unreliable narrator to the screen and have us all say, Maureen, you dumb fuck. This is not the last battle. <laughs> and hopefully that realization will come during the episode. Um, it reminds me a lot of in the books when Rand thinks he's killed the Dark One. And he's screaming out his name and everything. And it's like, no, you fucking asshole. This is not over. This is book one of 15. This is not over. So that's really fun watching. And I'm excited to see what the revelation is at the end of this. I know that at the end of the first season we're likely to see the Sean Chen. That's that's kind of like low-key confirmed. But I wonder how they're gonna leave the action here. Like will they have a revelation that this is not the last battle of of how much there is still to come? And I hope so, because I think the audience needs that. I remember really clearly coming out of reading The Eye of the World and knowing that there's all these books and being a big fantasy fan. And I finished The Eye of the World and I called my friend who I'm watching with now because I was, you know, talking to her as I was reading the book. And I was like, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Like, they won. I don't understand how there's more to this. Like, this could be it. That It could have just been this book. And it would have been good. But I don't get it. And so I really hope that they don't leave first-time viewers there. Because I could jump right into The Great Hunt, obviously. And then I was like, oh, I okay. As that unfolded, I had a much better idea of where we were going and how it was 
how it was even going to be such a long story, you know, because it seems like they kind of solved the problem at the end of the first book on the surface. At least Rand thinks so, right? So I hope that they don't leave viewers there. I hope it's really clear where this is going and that this was not the last battle, not even close. And just explain the stakes more, like the greater stakes more, I think would be awesome. I don't want them to leave us wondering how there's going to be eight seasons of the show, right? So backing up in the episode a little bit, um, back to the ways. So this was this was super different. Machin Shin was super different from the books. The ways were different from the books. I was super underwhelmed by them. I just didn't feel the danger. I thought they looked really cool. I liked the design. I liked the way that Machin Shin looked. I even liked what Machin Shin did. I just didn't feel like they were in danger. I felt like they were in the ways for like five minutes. They sort of, I mean, they laid down to go to sleep, but they didn't actually, right? They didn't show us like, we've been in here for days and... I would have liked sort of a Wazy montage before the Trollocs attacked. I would have liked to see, like, way significantly more Trollocs. Like, the danger just felt really understated here in the ways. And that was a little bit disappointing, I won't lie. It's one of the few things in the books that, it, or in the show, that I have really come away being like, meh, that was lame. I think the lack of explanation of them, too, of, like, how did they turn evil? You know, why are they related to the Ogier? loyal needed way significantly more time here and Mashin Shin I just I wasn't sure that it was actually going to kill them it was unclear to me it really just reminded me of that one thing in the second Hunger Games book in the 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 Jabberjays I just didn't really understand how they were in that much danger and I've seen a couple people comment on this and I agree like at least from a book canon standpoint Moraine should be able to channel even when people are yelling a bunch of bullshit in her ear. If that's all that's going on, Moraine should not... We shouldn't be having a problem. She, sh I said I should be able to channel through that. So I'm not sure about all that, but I did really like seeing Pat and Fane in the ways, which I caught and I was super stoked about, and that's up on our Twitter at Behind Timeline, so check that out. I took a screenshot of it, but... Yeah, Pat and Fane is actually in the ways under a bolt of bolt of lightning, and that was really, really cool. I was stoked to see him. He did not disappoint. His menacing sort of presence through the whole season where no one quite knows. Like, even Scott was like, I can't tell if he was bullshitting me when he was like, I don't know if he's doing a, if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He's just here. And I'm like, he's obviously a bad guy. But also, yeah, he's, he's just this sort of mystery presence in the background of all of this. So... Loving him and not so much loving the ways, hoping for a lot more of that, especially if they're going to combo the ways with portal stones, which I was so teased by the portal stones or the not portal stones, the marking stones that we saw in like episode five. It was just That was such a bummer that those turned out not to be portal stones, but thanks to the fans who translated them. But if they're going to combo the ways with the portal stone, then this might turn out to be okay. I might come out after season two and say, all right, all right, all right. That episode in season one felt a little weak, but we got a whole lot more ways now. Because obviously that's how the girls get to Falma with Leandrin, right, through the ways. And and I don't know whether they'll actually go to Falma. I think that's majorly up for debate. But that is how they travel in the book. So maybe we'll see that. And maybe maybe we'll see their ways there as well as, like, for the Flicker Flicker. Which they obviously, I don't know how they do flicker flicker if it's the ways. So maybe it's, maybe we don't get that, which would be super disappointing. But if they just use this as the fast travel mode that's going to get them to Falma slash, let's be real, possibly Tyr, um, and then later on into the waste, I could see them just continuing to use the ways. So that's like three different times in book two where portal stones are used, right? So. We could be seeing a lot more of the ways in season two. That could be kind of neat. I might complain less if that turns out to be the case. I also want to like follow up on that thought that the Shanshan stuff might happen in tier. I had said in the last Dark Friend social, like, I don't know why they wouldn't land in Falma first, like on the West. No reason to believe that maybe they won't have. Like they could easily write it in to say, yeah, all these things happened in Falma. And uh, Megan, that one Aes Sedai, who we all think is going to end up being Pura, she could appear in Tyr. Doesn't mean that she couldn't have been taken 
on the West Coast where she went to check out the ships and then be found by everyone else in Tyr. So I could still see all of those events happening in the South in Tyr, despite the Shanshan having landed on the West first. That would totally make sense to me. And then maybe we can go to Falma later, you know, whatever. Um, whatever keeps us kind of fast-tracked here, but not fast-tracked to Moraine's death. I make that clear. <laughs> fast-track some things and not others. So let's talk about Egwene, my most special girl. She she wants to be anyway. Poor baby. I I feel for Egwene. I mean, I love Egwene, and I, I have said in the main episode that I understand how controversial that is. I know there's a lot of people who really don't like her. And the things that other people don't like about her, I do like. Like, I like that she's, like, she's confident to the point of arrogance. Because she's right most of the time. Like, she pulls it, like, not all the time, but most of the time she pulls off whatever she's trying to do. And she usually ends up being right. And she just has this, like, I like her approach to the world where it's, like, why won't everyone just listen to me? Like, I know what to do if you just do the thing that I say. But the world and society won't get out of her way because she's too young and too inexperienced and she doesn't like communicate it great so I just like I don't know I I, I relate to Egwene a lot in that I love Egwene and I love how much they're playing that up here like she's really pissed that she's not the dragon she really thought it was gonna be her when she found out she could channel and the look on her face in episode six when they were talking about Nynaeve being the most powerful and she sees what Nynaeve pulls off, right, in the ways, which was cool. Like, Supernova Nynaeve, I, I can't ever disagree with. And I can't wait to see what Rand does in Episode 8 because it's bound to be more impressive. Like, it has to be magnitudes more impressive, right, to really demonstrate, no, this is the Dragon Reborn. But I imagine it's going to be, like, like Nynaeve, but, like, a lot more violent, a big outburst like that. But, like, thousands of Trollocs are going to drop dead, so I'm pretty stoked about that and also it's gonna scare the fuck out of Rand when he does that I liked Moraine's line in the teaser like when you need it the power will be there but back to Egwene I love everything they're doing with her and Rand right now this back and forth tumultuous relationship how different their worldviews are I love listening to Scott um reflect on this because I think obviously he's not a book reader so he's he's got a nice objective view of this and he's really seeing how those character traits and personality differences are coming into play and it's super important down the line and it's something that I wish we'd gotten more of in the books it was just time with the two of them together after they leave after Egwene leaves the waste right because they're together then which I forget about a lot that they are actually even though at that point in the books they've like broken up they're still together physically in in the waste. So I could sh see the show keeping them together for a long time, having a much more tumultuous breakup between them involving Avienda rather than Elaine, who again, I honestly, I prefer Elaine with Matt. I, I know that based on Min's prophecy, which we will get to, we are likely to still see Elaine with Rand. And I know that people would fucking riot if they changed that particular relationship dynamic too much. But personally, I wouldn't complain. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe the Elaine thing will come in later. Maybe they'll have some better time together. I don't know. But I could see him and Egwene having a much more tumultuous breakup later in the waste. And I'm here for it. I want more time of them together, especially after Egwene becomes Amerlin. I want to see them together in those dynamics when he's the dragon and the Black Tower exists and she's the Amerlin seat. Especially once she's in the tower, which... I think just because we'll have fewer seasons, we'll feel fast-tracked. I don't think it'll be fast-tracked in terms of, like, the order of events in the story. But I think it will feel faster because it's not going to be season eight or nine by the time that happens, right? That she should be in the tower having dealt with all of that shit by, I would think, the beginning or middle of episode seven. If episode, if, Sorry, season seven. If season eight is fully the last battle, which is my prediction, then I think we would see her sometime in the like the first third of season seven gaining control of the tower so i would like to see a lot of them together then and setting all of this up now works and just their their future roles as like the two prominent leaders of i mean of the Aes Sedai right of, of Sidar and Sidene users but i can't wait to look back you know in season seven and eight with with the deep sadness i'm sure on these episodes and how much has changed between them and how they wanted to work together. And, and I love that they're laying the seeds now for us to come back in years and years from now and say, God, look at how much 
all of these events were set up with their differing worldviews and their arguments, and now the two of them rule the world opposite one another but not together, and how do they work together having this shared history? And I always thought that was really, really interesting and underexplored in the books. So I'm stoked for more of it. And I'm excited, like I said, also, like, like okay, for their tumultuous breakup, yes, because I think it's going to be way more dramatic in this. than in the books, it was kind of like, mm, we're not, this isn't going to work, right? Right? Right. Okay. I'm excited for it to be more tumultuous here. I'm also excited for when they decide that they're exacerbated trying to work together. Like I see, like I say, like I want them to kind of spend more time working together once Egwene has control of the tower. But when she's still Omerlin of the Rebels, I would like to see them have some time where they just become exacerbated by one another and really are not working together. Because I think they're setting it up right now. Like there's, they have to have those kind of moments. In the books, they just sort of don't talk. It's just weird. And I, I, I know that Rand wards the fuck out of his dreams, right? It's like hard for Egwene to communicate with him the way that she does with everybody else. That's fair. But yeah, I just think that they need to talk more. And I want to see them have like a big falling out over how they want to handle events right like how, how they want to how how they each want to handle their leadership roles and decide that they're not going to work together I think that'll be really interesting but as far as this love triangle goes I know people are pissed about this right I kind of am too with Egwene Perrin and Rand I don't understand why we suddenly have a thing here like I don't need it I don't understand it Scott didn't buy it Scott was just like no that's ridiculous which I agree I'm like that's that seems ridiculous. People have been talking about it. I know it was like something that Marcus Rutherford mentioned. So it's been kind of in people's, the back of people's minds. But no, no, thank you. I don't really follow that. I don't really get what that's about. We still don't have any information about what Perrin's like problem was with Layla because they were so awkward in episode one. We still never had flashbacks to that. It feels like a weird thread. It feels like maybe it was just kind of like shitty writing. Maybe they're trying to say that this was the problem, that Perrin was really in love with Egwene. But it feels like a very weird reveal. Like, I don't I don't love the execution here. I don't think it makes a ton of sense. And I'm kind of like, I try not to do this, but I feel like I'm just like going to hand wave it away like it doesn't exist, even though they're, they're telling me that it exists. So I don't really know what to do with that. But what I do really like is Perrin and Egwene's shared connection to Teleran Riyadh. And I would like to see them spend more time there together later. I mean, they barely see each other after book three. And then we get these, like, incredible moments. Like, it's just a weave, Egwene. And gives me goosebumps. Like, I want to see them connect more over the dream and, like, see each other more. And, you know, it's like the, uh, it's like the Umbrella Academy meme where... Vanya and Five are driving past each other, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, that's them constantly in the dream, right? So I want to see a lot more of that, of like, how did you get here? And it plays into Egwene's arrogance as well, and it cracks me up. Because that's the same in the book, like, when she sees him there, like, she never, she doesn't get it, right? And she never thinks to ask him about how he's there. Like, she could have learned so much for being our nerd girl who wants to learn everything. I don't recall, and please send me feedback if I'm forgetting, but I don't recall that she ever is like wants to go find a way to talk to Perrin and ask him how he's doing this, right? Go seek him out in the dream, like learn more about the dream world. She never does that. So I think that's funny, but I'd like to see them do it more. And if whatever this is with this love triangle means that they get more time together later to explore Teleranriad and have those parallels of their story. Because Perrin also goes through like a leadership arc, right? And they have access to this really similar magic. I would just very much like to see them explore that more. So if that's what this gets us, great. The other thing in this scene where everybody's fighting is Nynaeve starting to lose her position of power and push back against that transition for the kids. And that, like, chef's kips. That's Nynaeve for, like, six books, right? It's like, but I'm the wisdom. And everyone around hers is like, well, fuck you. I'm the Amarlin seat now. <laughs> Sit down. To be fair, by the time Egwene is in the little tower, Nynaeve has kind of come around, but... So much of her early character arc is her coming to grips with not being the person in power in their group, necessarily, um, with the kids all really coming into their own. And Nynaeve having to kind of adjust to that, right? And figure out where her place is. And I think a big part of where her place is going to be is going to be in the tower becoming Aes Sedai. 
But I really like her kind of coming around to that. And she's going to have to find, you know, a new mission, a new role, a new direction in life. So it's it's a big change for Nynaeve. And I like seeing her struggle against that with the girls. And speaking of her, she and Lan are just perfect. This is done so much better here than it is in the books, frankly. I, their relationship, it felt like Moraine and Tom's to me. It was a little bit of a sneak attack, you know? So... Which she had her little sneak, or Lan had his little sneak attack on her this week, which was awesome. But I prefer them setting this up now and not making it so, so subtextual. You know, I mean, I love their relationship. I ship them super hard, obviously, especially in the later books. But it's really good to see them get to do this now because obviously they're away from each other for a really long time. Like, land goes to the waste. So it's good to see them get to build this foundation here. I'm also really glad not to see all of the bullshit, really, between them with, like, I can't be with you because I'm fated to, you know, go to the Blight and die and fight for Malkir. And I'm like, land, it's the end of the world. We're all fated to go to the Blight and die. Like, stop. You're not special. So I just, I hate his approach to that. Of like, it's the literal end of the world. He's like, all I can give you is death and funerals. And I'm like, that's all anybody can give anybody right now. We're all, like, just, just be happy. Everyone's headed for the last battle where it's, it's fucking Armageddon. And see the Spider-Man primer and review for more comments on this. But I really, really dislike that trope of we can't be together because it puts you in danger. I'm, I'm. Too much of a hero to have a loved one. I'm like, Lan, sit down. So I really like that that's not what's going on here, but that they they do still have this element of some barriers between them and, and being together, which are Nynaeve being wisdom, because they say wisdom's never wed, right? And then also Aes Sedai, if they, when that becomes her direction, they also don't really wed, and Lan is already taken as a warder, which is the greater obstacle for them, and they've been building it up all season, and they mention it, you know, in their love scene, when it's like, but you belong to Moraine. And of course he says, I don't know more than you do to the kids, wisdoms don't wed, all of that was really brilliantly done. This is such a better wedge between them than I have to go to the blight and and fight for Malkier and I'm gonna die and I can't give you anything that just was so frustrating to me so this makes a lot more sense it's much more in line with what we know about the world and what's been being built up all season and I think I mean god forbid Maureen should die in this episode I don't think she's passed the bond to Nynaeve that doesn't make any fucking sense so I think Lan would be going to Alana much more quickly. I know he doesn't go to Alana in the books, but we know that she's standing in for Morella, whoever it is, or Morel, whoever it is that takes the bond initially before it does go to Nynaeve. But, but yeah, I like this wedge between them much better than what's in the books. This makes a lot more sense and it sets things up for his bond to be eventually transitioned to Nynaeve. So that's just, that's, that's better. That's a lot better. I like that. <laughs> but speaking of the Aes Sedai, um, sending the Red Aja after Matt. Holy shit. So this makes sense. Like I said in the main episode from Moraine's current understanding of matters, which is if there is any chance that he's the Dragon Reborn and he has this evil in him, yeah, get him gentled, send the Reds after him. But... It's really just, again, this unreliable narrator stuff really making it to the screen in a brilliant way. Because Moraine has no fucking idea what she's doing. And when we see Matt in the teaser, which I was shocked by, I didn't think we were going to see Matt in episode 8. I didn't think we were going to see Barney Harris in episode 8, shall we say. I thought the casting issues and him leaving the show would preclude that. But looks like we're going to see him and he looks super haggard. He looks like he got the dagger. So I wonder if he hasn't been for whatever reason still drawn to the dagger and we'll see him like fuck around and find out in the tower trying because I assume that's where the dagger is. I assume they left it in the tower and not on the floor of that inn. So I mean I can't believe that they didn't like we'll find out more next next week or this week I guess about what happened to it because it's kind of weird to uh I don't know that Moraine would be like, let's leave this thing from Shatter Logoth like laying around. So we'll have to see about that. But he looks like he has the dagger again. So I wonder if he's like in the tower trying to find it and gets 
ultimately healed by the yellows or if the reds try to gentle him and that heals him of the dagger wouldn't that be funny and it's like he can't channel but he's healed now fully because of the reds that would actually be kind of a funny twist on it because like when the evil came out of him in episode seven or sorry in episode six 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 it looked a lot like Sidine. Like it had that kind of white underneath the black and it I, I don't know, it would be interesting if, if the Reds were able to cure him via a gentling attempt. Would be kind of awesome. I would like, if we're going to get Matt, I would like to also get Tom. I think leaving that thread open for the end of the season is fucking weird. Like, no body, no death is a very real rule. They have to know this. They have to close that up on us and give us Tom at the end of the season. So I'm super hoping that we see him connect with Matt, hopefully a Matt who is fully cured and has his luck back. I really want us to do his book three storyline fucking yesterday, but there's a lot for us to do in episode eight and that might not be part of it. I don't know. I just want to get cool Matt because I hate that everyone hates Matt right now and I get why because we all hated Matt for like two and a half books, right? Like, or at least we didn't love him the way that we do now. So I just, I want everybody to be able to love Matt. I want to see Matt dicing and winning and have that come full circle this season. I just want it all to happen now. Like, I just, I want this to actually be the last battle, <laughs> like the characters think it is. But to wrap us up, we get Min. And Min is very cool in this. I liked her a lot. I liked her whole vibe. I liked her interaction with Rand. I liked her interaction with Moraine. And I like Min in the book, but it took me a couple of rereads because I really don't like her whole just like fawning over Rand and fangirling over him. And like, he's such an idiot. He like thinks they're just friends, but he's like into all these other people at the same time. Like it takes him a minute to realize he's even interested in Min and he's seeing two other women at that point when they finally do get together later, right? And I just... It was a long time where I didn't even feel like Rand was into it. And I just felt bad for Min. I was like, I wish you could just move on, you know? And her whole like, oh, I'm going to sit on your lap and giggle. And <laughs> why don't you love me? And I'm like, oh, God, she is way too cool to be acting like that about anybody. So I, I hope that they find a little bit of a different direction than that for Min. Because she's just, she's just better than that. All the women in this story are better than that. Can you even imagine seeing that on screen, like her sitting on Rand's lap while he's dating like both Elena and Avienda and like has barely looked twice at Min because he's like super consumed by his rapidly approaching Darth Rand in that part of the storyline once they're together and having her sit on his lap and the simper and like cry over how he doesn't love her. That's the, I just, I do not like that. And I like Min after, like, upon rereads, but there are elements of her story with Rand, like, before they're together, that are really, really frustrating to me. So I'm glad that she seems like I can't picture this version of her doing that. Thank God. She just seems so young, like, this, this like, heart six teenager in the book sometimes. And I'm like, huh. Leave that to Elaine. And I don't like it when she does it, you know? But it's so, I just... I'm glad about that. And I thought that Min's viewings were very cool. The way that they showed them were awesome. The way that she plays a role in confirming Rand as the dragon is awesome. And her visions were, like, the actual details of her visions were really cool. I couldn't believe that Scott didn't pick up on the one about the girls. So we see, she sees either both Egwene and Nynaeve with a golden ring and a white flame. And the golden ring is obviously the Aes Sedai ring, right? And the white flame is the flame of Tarvalon, right? There's also the rings in Roideon. I suppose it could be that. There's actually a lot of latitude for these to be different things. But it seems to me that if they, if she's seeing that over both of them or kind of both of them together or both of them individually, it could just be a sign that like they're going to be Aes Sedai. The ring and the flame. That might just mean they're going to be Aes Sedai. Or maybe Nynaeve has the ring, but Egwene has the flame for being Omerlin. I do think this is a prediction of her being Omerlin. And I can't believe Scott didn't pick it up. 
like the golden ring, like all we've seen all season are the Aes Sedai gold rings. And then also the episode six was called the Flame of Tar Balan. But I get how that would go over someone's head who hasn't read it, right? So I love that. I'm sitting there like, no, they told you like last week, like they let you know what this means 15 minutes ago. But I love that he's not putting it together or else he's just bullshitting me, but he hasn't told me that he knows he gets it afterwards. So I love that. Um, and I like the idea that the rings could be Roydian. Um, at least I think that that's where the rings are. That might be the arches and the rings are in... No, I think the rings are in Rodion. And there's arches in Tyr. Or pillars. There's a lot of ways in and out of all that shit. But I think I think that the ring Terangrail are in Rodion. So maybe it's that. I don't know. But I love that we didn't actually see them. They're just described to us. Like the visions are very... I think they're all going to turn out to be true and it'll be fun to like keep a tally. Like, you know, there's book reader tallies of like all of men's visions. How fun will that be for, for show watchers? I'm just really excited about just the elements that they're bringing in early. You know, I know men's visions are in the first book, but, but still stuff, stuff that will matter later that we can go back to. It's super cool. I was less clear about the vision of Rand with a baby right like the coloring of the baby definitely makes me think that it could if it's if it's Rand's kid it's Rand's kid with Min right because the other two women that he's with are Avian is a redhead and Elaine is blonde or strawberry blonde um, like Tigrain looked right because Tigrain's Andoran not Aiel I, at least in the books who knows what they're going to do with that they might change that for the show I don't know but she was for sure a redhead in this episode so I feel like if it's Rand's kids with either of them they would also have lighter coloring so it would be like Min's kid with the dark hair but I think I think that what we're gonna find out is that when we have context around this and we see this scene happen later which I'm sure we will it's gonna be more like that scene in the Stone of Tear where he tries to resurrect the dead girl with Kalimdor I think it's gonna be like there's a whole battle sieging around them and he's holding a dead baby or rescuing a baby or I don't know, but I doubt very much that that's his kid in a happy moment. I think that the context around that will change and we'll understand it more clearly when we see the scene play out, which is super cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us give us all that really good writing that way. Don't make it simple. I don't think it's Rand's baby. And then in her last viewing for Rand, genuinely, I thought she was just being sarcastic and I laughed my ass off during the episode when she says rainbows and carnivals and three beautiful women, right? So the rainbow's got to be Roydian when he sets all the fountains off. That's got to be Roydian, which is so cool. And that took me a second. So thank you, Twitter, for helping me put that together. I definitely think that's Roydian. The carnival, I assumed, was Valen Luca, which, you know, great. <laughs> we all have, like, differing opinions of whether that was worthwhile time in the book. I I enjoy Valen Luca more the second time around with Matt than I do the first time around with the girls and Brigitte, even though Brigitte's awesome. But it could also be Karian because there's that carnival in Karian when Rand's there and there's like, I can't remember the details, but it's like the Trollocs are running through the city because they're dressed up like whatever they have at the carnival. I'm blanking on what it is, right? But they're like Trollocs in disguise running through Karian and it's when they meet Eludra and the Illuminator Guild, and that whole that whole mess in Karian, which is really fun. I really hope that they do manage to incorporate that, even though this Rand might be like a little more, I don't know, experienced, have more people at his back. I don't know how he gets like, I don't know, maybe we'll do a flicker flicker. Like I say, it's, hard, it's really hard to say what's going to happen now. But I hope that we get Rand and Karian because that was just really fun with him like accidentally playing Deus de Mar and being like, I'm not going to play. And everyone's like, look at the skilled player of the <laughs> Game of Houses. So I think that's really fun. Um, for sure, I think that's what that is. And then the three beautiful women, of course, are Elaine and Min and Avienda. My favorite of which is Avienda. So I'm really excited that she's been cast. I hope we see her like ASAP in season two. I hope we get to the waste ASAP in season two. I want to see them really bring together the first like five books and do it in three seasons, two or three seasons, even the first six books. Because I keep saying I think season three is going to end with Dumai's Wells. Maybe it'll be season four. I don't know. There's a lot for them to pack in there, but I would like to see them fast track this because I think after book six, 
things start to consolidate. Like, I think we can all look at, like, Path of Daggers and say that doesn't need to be a season of television, right? Whereas book three, book four, it's we can definitely combine a lot of this and make it shorter, but it's it's harder. There's kind of more beats going on in those earlier books. And we know that in terms of like the actual timeline of events, the pacing is much slower in the first few books. And then later it's like, you know, I think it's like a week during the Path of Daggers, right? I mean, isn't Crosswords of Twilight like an actual couple of days? Or whenever it is, it's right after the cleansing. Like, it actually only takes place over a couple of days. So the earlier books, it's a little harder. But I think as we get later, we can squish things together. So I really hope that we can get to do Mize Wells around Season 3 and just sort of squish all of this together and push through. But back to Min... Her prediction about the Omerlin totally freaked me out, right? I was like, how is Swan going to fuck over Moraine? That is not okay. I'm like racking my brain for how that's reality. And also feeling sad because they don't, they don't see each other again, right? And that's like downplayed for them in the books, but definitely won't be in the show. But it took me a second, but then I, I did realize, and like I said in the main episode, there's no way that the Omerlin she's seeing is Swan Sanche. That has got to be Elida. Right. Well, Elida slash Leandrin. But, and I do think now that Leandrin's going to take on Elida's story. No question in my mind. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know whether I think she's going to be Black Aja. I like the idea of switching that up. I like the idea of having some other Aes Sedai turn out to be Black Aja. And we don't know very many of them yet. So it's hard to say who could do Leandrin season two, book two stuff of smuggling the girls out to the Shan Shen, right? And they could dramatically change up how that happens. Maybe no one smuggles them. Maybe we don't get a Black Aja reveal for a little bit longer. I don't know. But I think it would be fun to have other Aes Sedai turn out to be bad guys and just subvert things for us. Of course, with the exception of Varen, who if they change anything will riot. But I, I would like for them to surprise us even as book readers, and not be like, well, Leandrin has them, like, we're definitely going to go to the Shanshan now, tomorrow. like, I would like to see it take us by surprise, you know? So I'm okay with Leandrin not being Black Aja and with taking over for Elida. I just then don't totally understand why she's not just called Elida, but whatever, you know? It makes sense to set up the Reds, and we all kind of expect Leandrin earlier, and her look is much more interesting like the blonde hair and the braids and the I just I'm I'm honestly kind of fine with it I didn't like it at first but the more that I sit with this concept that she's going to take over for Elida the, the more okay I am with it and who it doesn't really matter what they call her or whether she was you know the I said I for more gaze none of those details really matter what matters for Elida is that she's not Black Asha that she's a fucking idiot who manages to gain power and fuck everything up. But she is not Black Asha. That's the really important thing. It's just have this gray area villain that the Wheel of Time is great for. The White Cloaks are the same. In a lot of ways, like the Shan Shen are the same. I'm not saying what they do is okay or that they're not bad guys. But they don't. They're not agents of the dark. So that differentiation is so important for the Wheel of Time. Because the whole thing is get everybody together so we can fight the last battle. I mean, one of, big, one of the biggest obstacles throughout the whole story but especially towards the end for Rand is getting the Shanshan on board to fight with them for the last battle and then we'll figure it out then you guys want to take over the world we'll have that discussion but for now can we all just get together to fight the dark one and getting everyone on the same page is such a big part of what Rand has to do so having these gray area villains this issue in the tower where it's it's being driven by Black Aja like Alviarin but Elida isn't actually black. So that dynamic is important. As long as they maintain that, I don't really care what name they give her, right? So if it's Leandrin, fine. But I absolutely think that that's the Amarlin who's going to be Maureen's downfall. And then it's like, well, so is she black Aja? Because is it still going to follow all of the stuff around, you know, the Lanfear storyline in the Waste and going through the Terangriel? Or... Is, is what's going to happen that Moraine will actually die in this obvious trap that Ishamayel is setting up for them in the Blade, right? This is obviously a trap by Ishi. 
if she dies there, then Swan was her downfall because Swan told her to go there. So that's also like, that's actually the simplest answer is it's, it is actually Swan Sanche and Moraine dies now, but I would fucking hate that. I cannot imagine what the fan base will do if Moraine dies now, honestly, unless Matt like all of a sudden gets his luck and says, let's go to the tower of Genji, like in the finale of season one. <laughs> I just, I don't see it. I, I will be so upset if they kill Moraine. I will be absolutely shocked. So let's hope that that's not what's happening. But if it does, that does actually make sense for Min's viewing. So it's an interesting wrinkle, right? And then Min's last kind of viewing with Rand is when he asks her if she sees the eye of the world and she doesn't really answer directly, right? We talked about this in the main episode. And Rand just says, you know, he says, do you see if I'm going to make it back? She says she does see the eye of the world. She says, yeah, I wish I didn't. He says, well, do you see if I'm going to come back? And she doesn't really answer. And he says, I didn't think so. And What's the implication then, honestly? That the dragon's going to die now due to this apparently needless attempt to kill the Dark One because she's in Swan Streams. Like, this is the unreliable narrator again. Like, these guys do not know shit. I love the way that the show's doing it. But the idea that he wouldn't come back is... It's ludicrous, right? So then the world ends. No one's really putting this together. They haven't really come out and said, like, if the dragon dies, we all lose. Like, we need you in the last battle. I don't think anyone has laid that out. It's like the dragon will either save the world or destroy it. And it, by the logic they've given us, it still kind of seems like maybe you could kill the dragon and all of us would go away. But it doesn't, right? It's the world will either be saved or destroyed one way or another. So if you take the dragon off the board right now, the opportunity to save the world is gone. So that's interesting to me. I wonder how they're going to handle this. I honestly just don't know. So moving into, like, next week. If the finale of this season makes any goddamn sense, then it's a poor adaptation of The Eye of the World, right? So let's <laughs> let's hope they adapt it um, differently. Let's hope that there's a lot of changes. This is the one section of the whole series. More so than Val and Luca, more so than The Bull of the Winds, more so even than Perrin trying to rescue Fael. I want them to change this. Like, this, the end of the eye of the world makes no fucking sense to anybody. Like, book readers have no idea what happened, right? So, I hope that they makes a lot more sense. I hope there's more action at Tarwin's Gap. I mean, I when I read it, I was like, did that even really happen? Are we still in the dream? And then... And please do send me feedback and let me know, because I, like so many of us, don't totally know what happened at the end of the Eye of the World. But I feel like part of the dynamic is that he travels through Teleran Riyadh in the flesh. I actually hope they expand on this and make Rand a dreamer, because people talk about that a lot in the books. And like he just, no one really knows how to teach him, but he would have been a dreamer is a cool, a cool idea. But... I think he travels in the flesh through Teleran Riyadh in order to show up at Tarwin's Gap. So something like that would be cool and then have like the kids see all of this happening from Feldara because they have like a front row seat to Tarwin's Gap. That seems likely to me. I don't think that Lan is going to drag the kids into the blight. They might insist. Nynaeve might insist. I think there's definitely going to be drama around whether or not they're allowed to go running into the blight after Moraine and Rand. So I don't know. I don't know, because it's going to be different. It has to be different. I can barely even begin to predict what's going to happen next week or this week on the Wheel of Time. I really don't know how this season is going to end. But what I know I want out of the end of this season is, is an explanation of, of Taviran. How do we not have this yet? It's ridiculous. I, I did they just drop that as an Easter egg in episode one for book readers and they're just not going to go back? Because they've explained this concept a thousand times. They have they keep trying to make it clear what it means to be like an important thread in the pattern. And they haven't quite said that the pattern will bend around the kids, but they have really alluded to the importance of these threads of the pattern to like, and the fact that they can't just walk away right like the, the pattern has chosen you you're important min saying that swan saying that moraine it keeps coming up and it keeps not being explained and i honestly think that it's easier to get your head around concepts when there's a name for it so just tell us what taviran means 
I cannot understand why they refuse to do this. It had best happen next week. I'll be really pissed if they allude to it all season, name drop it in episode one, and never come back around. Because it is the answer to so many questions that watchers have, right? And it it makes things like Matt walking away much more compelling. Because you can't just do that. So maybe we'll see some Taviran pulling on Matt. I, I don't know. But I'm desperate for this to get explained. I really am. So here's hoping for episode eight. Thank you guys for sticking with me for this relatively short episode. Like I say, I'm not feeling my best today, so I did keep this a little bit brief, but I appreciate you guys sticking with me for our 50th episode. So it's, it's really exciting. Thank you so much to Twitter of Time and the Wheel of Time community. Uh, you guys have helped us so much and it's been so much fun engaging with you and getting to cover the shows like an honest to god dream for me so to close this out as sappy as it started like it's this really is just so much fun i love being able to do this and and thank you guys for all your support we will be back next week we'll we'll be back like i actually think we might put out our review like thursday night we might record because it's the holidays here but Scott and I might knock out our review, like a hardcore reaction immediate review of episode eight. We might do that the night of the 23rd so that we can have it out for you guys Christmas Eve and not have to wait until after the holiday. But for sure, that episode eight review is coming. After the holidays, I will be back for a Dark Friend Social. And I think what we're going to do is have a little bit more of a robust, inclusive Dark Friend Social where maybe we'll do a little bit of an end-of-season recap and predictions with Scott, maybe even with Ben, who's through the first book, and see what they think about everything, do some season two predictions, and then have them hop off and, and leave me and the rest of us Dark Friends to talk about those evil spoilers in the end. So we might have like a much longer Dark Friends social next week with everybody on it and break it up a little bit. I think that's probably what we'll do sometime the week of the 27th. And then... After that, we're going to come into season two of the podcast. So look out. We'll have a Hawkeye review. We've been watching that. We're just not doing weeklies. So we will talk about Hawkeye. We're going to have the Dalmatian extravaganza, which is much promised and much delayed. But we are going to take the temp pad and really kick season two off by heading all the way back to Disney Silver Age to hit on the Dalmatians. Then we'll be back into the timeline with E.T., 16 Candles, Temple of Doom, etc., etc. We'll probably cover Morbius. That's going to come out as well in January. It's going to be exciting stuff coming up for season two of the pod. So we hope that you guys stay with us. Make sure that you like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Wherever you guys are getting your podcasts, it definitely helps us out. We love seeing the engagement. Hit us up on Twitter at Behind Timeline, at Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. You can send feedback to go behind the timeline at gmail.com. And you can also check out the website and the Reddit. All of the links for that will be in the episode description. So definitely check out the website, though. We've got cool stuff on there, letting you know what's coming up next in the timeline, as well as all the other things we're reviewing in real time. So stick with us. Stay nerdy. And, um, you know, everybody hold on to your butts for the finale. I'm really, really excited. So I'll see you guys over on Twitter of time between now and then. And thank you so much again for, for being with us through this awesome ride. I will see you guys later this week for episode eight.